Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Seku Smith, here in Atlanta. Blue Georgia, by the way, for anybody that was wondering. Look, we got a great NBA season shaping up already, just a few weeks in. All kinds of drama, storylines everywhere. Figured it was time that we tapped into our bubble resources, man. We got one of the original bubble brothers on the podcast today. The Boston Globe's own Gary Washburn. The OG, as the, as you young people like to say, one of the OGs covering the league. G. Wash, what's up, sir? I, I know you've been here and there, you know, traveling, covering the league this year. Uh, unlike a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people are able to get out about with these teams, get into these arenas. So first and foremost, man, I'm curious what that's been like, you know, being on the road, being in some of these other arenas, watching the Celtics and watching these other teams around the league operate in this weird coronavirus atmosphere? It's surreal, really. The atmosphere is different. You know, you're not hearing the, the crowd cheers. You're not, when, when the home team makes a big play, you know, it's only the bench that's clapping. Um, it's just, it's surreal. And, and, the, and the piped in crowd noise. You know, when I was in Detroit, they had like the Pistons dancers dancing in, in the aisles. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, hey, who are they dancing for? Like, you know, they ain't dancing for the players. Like, you know, I'm sure they got to work too. So nothing against them working and dancing. But it was sort of like you can try to make it as much of a real-life game experience as you want. But without fans, it's just so different. Some teams, you know, the, the Celtics put their banners as a backdrop behind the basket. They dropped eight of the, their 17 banners. Detroit has taped like national anthems and also like halftime shows and put it on, you know, they brought the, the acts to the court and have them film tape it. Like, you know, teams are just trying to figure out the best way to make it an experience. And it's just so strange just to see, you know, it's good basketball. You got to credit the guys for adjusting the playing without that atmosphere, without the noise, but it's just so different, man. I guess you got a luxury if you're Boston. You got so many banners, you could rotate them. You know, you could kind of front on the, the visiting team and kind of show off. How have have you noticed just in terms of the the normal process that the team has? I was watching the game last night and noticing where the medical staff was and kind of how that setup is, that on-court setup, the scores table and who's, you know, sitting around there. Like, have you heard any – any feedback at all just about how different the process is for teams now and how much of a, an interruption to their normal way of doing business is this? Yeah, I think, honestly, they have more room on the bench. I mean, these guys can now walk around. You know, when usually you're on the bench, you're sitting on the bench or guys kind of huddle at the end and stand and watch the game. Now, it's sort of like an NFL sideline in a sense. Guys can walk around. Um, they can walk and ride the stationary bike. Uh, they can stretch over there. Like, it's, it's, it's a lot of space now 
for them. Some guys are sitting kind of behind the basket. So for, for the players in terms of like how they operate, I think they kind of like the comfort of it. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Like, well, these guys are all six five, six six, And on the bench, they sitting all up on each other um, <laughs> in a regular NBA game and NBA setting. Because, you know, the bench, these bench seats are not huge. They're regular, normal chairs, right? Um, but now with these new setups, the socially distanced setups, um, they're able to, to, to space out a little bit. Practice, obviously, I think is pretty normal because there's nobody attending practice. The games, I just think they've probably gotten used to just kind of being their own cheerleaders. You can hear things, obviously, as, like, as we did in the bubble. You can yeah. hear guys talking to each other, talking to the officials, guys arguing calls, lobbying for calls, players on the bench yelling at players on the court, all that encompassed. It's just a different experience. I don't want to say it's completely worse or terrible. It's just different. And I think everybody's going to embrace when fans are allowed back in the arena. But I think we do need to take advantage of the fact that this is kind of, we want to kind of a, an effect, a real life effect, a reality show kind of thing. This is it. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is definitely boiled down NBA. I felt like that in the bubble watching games, which I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoyed the games in the bubble, just the atmosphere, the, the scaled back atmosphere. You had family and friends over there and they're, you know, kind of adjacent to where we were sitting. The baseline seats that we had, you had to, you know what I mean? So it was a very intimate setting just to watch the games. What I've been struck by, Gary, though, both in the bubble and now since we've restarted this season is that the players have adjusted so well on the court. Like we've had some blowouts, obviously, with the abbreviated offseason for some teams and just kind of the interrupted preseason that they had, you know, abbreviated preseason they've had to get ready. But I mean, the quality of play has been spectacular from some people. We have some unbelievable individual performances already to start this season. Um, some teams that we didn't expect a lot of playing well. Um, who stuck out to you? Around the league, I mean, who who's caught your eye in terms of a team or player that's jumped out early on this season and made an impression? I'm going to say Julius Randle. Mm. Uh, the New York Knicks, hey, I didn't know whether Thibodeau was the right hire. I like Tibbs a lot. I, I covered him when he was in the, with the Celtics. I think he's a good coach. I remember covering the Olympics in Rio, mm-hmm. and we were sitting literally between the first and second deck with fans and you could hear Tibbs as an assistant coach's voice. You could hear his voice screaming defenses like throughout the game. So I wondered if Tibbs would be able to relate to to today's younger players who ain't trying to like the Bobby Knight stuff ain't working no more. The, the like grading older, you know, (laughs) as much that doesn't have the effect that it did with previous generations, but he has done a wonderful job so far. The Knicks play hard. The Knicks played hard in their fits. I mean, the Knicks didn't give up. They just weren't very good. This Knicks team is playing well, and they're playing hard. And Randall, I think people have forgotten about him. I mean, he was a former, obviously, high lottery pick. He broke his leg in his first game with the Lakers and then shuttled him to New Orleans so they could sign LeBron. And he's just kind of been like kind of one of those one-and-dones that's been forgotten about. Like you just And then he signs with the Knicks because they paid him a lot of money and he knew he was going to lose. But this time... I mean, he seems to be like, okay, I'm ready to be an all-star caliber player. Like, I'm ready to take this franchise, put it on my shoulders, and we're going to play hard every night. And I think that I credit Julius Randle for that because 
I mean, he was one of those guys that you thought when he was to Kentucky, oh, he's going to be a major force in this league. And then he's just had some bad luck. You know, he got kind of over, you know, he played with the Pelicans and then the Anthony Davis stuff happened. He's just been kind of like discarded a little bit and forgotten about. And I think that he's reminding people that he was a real deal coming out of Kentucky and he's improved his perimeter game. He's dishing, he's having triple doubles. I mean, he is the complete ball player right now. He is the biggest surprise to me in the league. Not that he wasn't good, but he has lifted the Knicks. I mean, and there's teams like the Cavs who are playing well. I mean, but the Knicks are a team that like people thought no shot they have to make the playoffs. Maybe they'll drop off, but did you know, Sekou, the East, the East is wide open. I mean, Charlotte, who knows what to make of them. Atlanta's dropping. Miami's going through its struggles. There's a bunch of teams in there. There's going to be some sneaky teams in that playing game that we never we never expected. I mean, I watched Charlotte the other night and watched how good Gordon Hayward looked, and it was ridiculous. I mean, just playing, you know, sometimes a subtle change for a team means everything. You know that. I mean, as long as you cover this league, you know it's, it's the stuff you don't see coming. That uh, that sometimes makes the biggest difference, and and that that brings me to an interesting team that you know as well as anybody in the Celtics. I was wondering what kind of start they would get off to with Kimba being out and knowing how crucial you know Kimba was to what they did last season and certainly in the bubble, even playing on that sore knee like he did forever. Are the Celtics as good as you thought they'd be given the circumstances right now? Are they? inching towards what you thought they'd be. I mean, where are they at in their short evolution so far this season? I did not think that Jalen Brown would play this well. I thought he'd take a next step forward. Jason Tatum, both of them averaging basically 26.2, three points a game. Their numbers in many ways are are almost identical. Uh, Jason's had better rebounding numbers, but Jalen, you know, Jalen's been great from the three-point line. Both of them have just been tremendous in carrying the team. Um, They're still trying to figure things out. Um, they essentially lost a one-point game at Indiana and a two-point game at Detroit where they basically missed their last 10 shots and didn't score. So they could be 8-1. and one. If they execute down the stretch of two games, they're 8-1, and one, which sounds really impressive, but I think they can get a lot better. And I think that players like Marcus Smart has sacrificed his offensive game and become more of a playmaker with Kimba out. I think they've worked together with the pieces that they have because they are not a deep, deep team. They have, they're, they're relying on a lot of rookies, and people are, are going to talk about Peyton Pritchard, the kid from Oregon, uh, who has been kind of a wonder kind for them. They had troubles with without Kimba in the backcourt, like, okay, who's going to be back a point guard? Who's going to score off the bench? And Peyton Pritchard's been that kind of spark plug, and, and they brought in a guy you're familiar with in Jeff Teague, and he's been hurt the last couple of games, but he's had his moments too. So I think they, there's a lot of room for improvement. They still have to figure out how to defend. They are not playing good defense this year. Uh, Detroit, I think, won seven now, won six, but Detroit scored at will at times on them during those two-game series they played. So they are where I thought they were. Um, they can get a lot better, but I think for the East, considering that teams like Milwaukee and Miami and Brooklyn are struggling at times, I think that they're all in a good spot. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum dynamic to me is so intriguing. You think about the young duos in this league going back as far as you want to. There's always been a tug of war. When Shaq and Penny played together, it was whose team is. You know, whenever you have two young dynamic talents at a similar age and stage of their careers, 
inevitably we start this conversation about, well, which one of them is going to be the alpha? Whose team is it? Um, you know, who's going to be the guy that takes the last shot? I know Jason Tatum is seen as the superior prospect, just if you're looking at the physical dimensions, the skill set, what they bring. But I feel like Jalen Brown might be the more complete player at this time. Two-headed question for you. How have these guys avoided that periphery drama of whose team is it, who's the alpha dog? And then, and where do you rate their games compared to one another? Complementary players, obviously. They, they clearly work together. But where do you rank their games in terms of who's maybe the more complete player right now? Well, first question, I think, honestly, Sekou, it might be kind of a, a logistics thing. Like, usually when you have a two-man team and they're arguing, one of them's like the point guard, one of them gets the ball to the other, okay? And and not that Kobe was a point guard, but Kobe was more of the playmaker, and he would, you know, drive and then draw two defenders, then flip it to Shaq, Shaq dunks, or he would throw it in the post to Shaq. Shaq needed Kobe to get the ball, right? Penny had to get the ball to Shaq, or it's the same with Simmons and Embiid. There's kind of like they rely on each other. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, well, it's my, I'm the man because I'm the one who got to get you the ball. No, I'm the man because I'm the one who scores. Like this situation ain't the case because they're essentially both wing players. Okay. And they both can kind of run the offense at times. And they have a strange but very fruitful relationship. Like they get along well. And I think the natural assumption that I've written before is that, you know, you're raising young men in your home and we get these, get, know these young, we, we all think that that quote unquote millennials are all alike. They all get along. They all like the same damn music. They're like, they, we, we all think that it's just us and then millennials. So all, all y'all love Drake. All y'all love uh, Cardi B. Like they're all different. And these two dudes are different. Jason's a dad. Jason's a really mellow guy. Jalen's the guy who's in the, already in the Players Association Executive Committee. He's a thoughtful, he's an outspoken dude. But they have bonded greatly, and they respect each other's strengths and their similarities, and they also respect each other's differences. And I think that's rare. I wrote about that today. Like, they're good with being different, and they understand, and I think here's the key, they understand how important each other is to their own success. The Celtics ain't going nowhere without both of them flourishing. And they each other know that. So I can't get mine on if I'm Jalen and Jason's not doing well, we're not going to win. I'm going to score 30 and we're going to lose to Miami. And the same thing with Jason. They realize I got to get Jalen going. So Jason, who has worked on his playmaking skills this year, has made some real key passes to Jalen for threes late in games. He made one in Detroit that got them the win. He made one the other night against Miami when Jalen was in the corner. Corner three puts the Celtics up eight late in the game, even though they almost blew that lead. So if you're the Celtics organization, you have to be giddy that these two dudes get along. There is no... I mean, and we can go back. The Jason, remember the the three J's in Dallas. I mean, these dudes come and then they all, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. These two dudes don't seem to have that dynamic. They have a friendly competition. I think both of them want to be superstars. They want personal growth and success, but they also root for each other. And I think that's a great thing if you're a Celtic fan. Both their games have expanded. Jason came in as a more polished player, Jason came into the league as a professional scorer already. Like we, right. we, 
he had some moves that was like, wow, that's beyond one and done. Like this dude can score in this league right now. Like a lot of guys coming to the league, they have to learn how to score. Jalen came in as a freakish athlete who is was going to have to work on like a like a LeBron in a sense. I'm not comparing the two. Right, right. On the physical level, like LeBron came into the league this freakish athlete who could dunk, but what about his mid range? What about his touch around the rim when he's not dunking? Things like that. What about his handles? I mean, it, when Jalen first got to the league, he would just put his hand down, go to the basket, and dudes would just swipe at the ball and hit off his hip out of bounds. It's like, dude, you you got to learn. How, you got to handle the ball in traffic. Like, you can't just dribble the ball. Dudes are just going to swipe at you. This is not college. Dudes are going to swipe at you. It's going to go off your leg out of bounds. That's deep. Like, they know how to defend dudes who just put their head down. So Jalen had to learn how to work on his handle. He had to learn how to pull up and shoot the mid-range. He had to learn how to finish at the rim that wasn't a dunk. Things where Jason had already had a lot of those things down, Jason had to get the I'm Kobe out of him a little bit of, I can make this impossible step back uh, 18 foot on one, you know, mid-range. Like, don't do not do that. Like, yeah. only Kobe do that. You know, no, you're not Kobe yet. So he had to get that out of his system a little bit and not settle for threes. And he's still learning that. So Jalen is probably at this point, the better defender, but Jason's improving on defense when Jalen has worked so hard on his game that he has caught up to Jason in terms of skill set, because Jalen is just like feverishly worked on his handles, worked on handling the ball in traffic, worked on not just putting your head down and charging into guys or gliding around, like body control, things like that, that have helped him become an all-star caliber player. It's interesting. They don't get a whole lot of praise for their player development program in Boston. You don't hear people going on and on about what a great player development component they have. But it's hard to develop two young, talented players simultaneously. You know, to me, what Portland has done with Dame and CJ and what those guys have done in Boston has got to be one of the more remarkable things where you have similar players at similar stages of their careers, and they both seem to be getting the most out of it at the same time. That somebody, and I'm assuming it's a maturity level amongst the players as, as much as it is anything. I mean, Jalen, we know, is one of the more proactive, conscious young players, not only in the NBA, but in sports. Um, when you talk about a guy who stepped into a leadership role so early in his career. They both signed up, you know, long-term, obviously, the Celtics plan on keeping them for a long time. What else do the Celtics need, Gary, to get over this hump? They've been battling year after year, you know, kind of hitting the ceiling of the conference finals. What's missing? You know, we'll see what happens when Kim Walker comes back. I think they need scoring off the bench. They had this big trade years ago in 2013 with Brooklyn. They had all these assets, all first-round picks off the yin-yang. Right. I think the plan was then for them to use those picks to get, like, ex-veteran player in, right? And that really didn't happen. They used a lot of those picks, the Grant Williams, the Robert Williams, Carson Edwards. Not He was on the first-round pick, but, like, a lot of these draft picks have been used – that 08 team, and everybody talks about the 08 team, but like the Eddie Houses and the James Poseys and the PJ Browns, like they had gray haired, gray beard vets coming off the bench to help them. No, no, I got this, guys. Let me come in. I know my role. I know what to do. 
hey, we need 10 points and eight the next, like, I'm going to bring that. And the Celtics really don't have that. Like, if you want to depend on Jeff T to do that, that's asking a lot of him at 32. Um, he, he's capable every now and then. But they need, to me, more bench health. They need someone to come off the bench to give them scoring because their bench at times suffers when they try to give Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum a break. Then they're depending on guys like Marcus Smart, who, you know, you don't want to depend on him to be your primary scorer, although he's capable. You want him to be the Swiss Army knife. Right. Also, say cool. They have this trade player, this, this uh, player exception, trade exception mm-hmm. for $28 million, the Gordon Hayward deal. They're going to have to use that before the trade deadline, obviously. And they're going to observe who's going to be available in March because there you can use that for a very big time impact player, whether it be um, another shooting guard, someone, and you can go to a small lineup because they're starting Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson right now. Um, <laughs> That's a tough lineup to score because basically you're not going to stretch the floor with Tristan. He's an in-the-paint guy. Tice has gotten better, but nobody's running out to cover Tice's three-point line. So basically it clogs up the paint, and so you're depending on Smart, Jalen, and Jason to do most of your scoring, and so it's making it a little difficult. So let's say you take out a Tice, bring him off the bench, and you bring in another wing, uh, an impactful guy who's six 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 seven who can score then you've got literally if you bring Kimba Walker back healthy Walker Brown Tatum X scoring wing and then Tristan Thompson to rebound hey that's that might be a, a team that could get you over the top in the east so I think it's kind of left to be determined because of this trade exception that they want to use and who who that's going to be you know Right now, people are like, well, they can get Aaron Gordon. They can get LaMarcus All. Those teams are winning. You know, the Spurs are winning. Uh, you know, uh, DeMar DeRozan. It's like, there's players out there who could be available. But right now, the league is so wide open. And what's going to be interesting is, you know, Sekou, with this 10-team thing, the play-in thing, a lot of teams now are going to be say, hey, we got a chance. Their owners are going to be, listen, we need some playoff money. If it's up to for 11 or 10, get into that 10 do what you got to do to get into that play-in. So there, there might be a lot more buyers on the market than sellers. So uh, because of the two additional teams that are going to be in this play-in, so who knows who's going to be available for that trade exception. But I think the Celtics need bench scoring, and they could use another productive wing who can score and take some pressure off Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I mean, I think we're at a fascinating point in this kind of two-year window because I think that's how long it's going to take us, obviously, to get back to any sense of a normal NBA schedule. It just feels like there's an opening right now, kind of like what Miami did in the bubble. As you mentioned, the East is wide open for somebody that's willing to risk a little to to go after it. I thought Miami did that, getting Jimmy Butler in free agency and then adding Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder the way they did. There's a similar opportunity for somebody this year to maybe leap into that space. Um, G, I only got one last question for you. It's bubble-related. As I mentioned at the outset, bubble brother to, to the nth degree. I need to know this, and you got to be honest. And I'm, and I'm asking Chris Haynes and Mark Spears this the next time I talk to you. Are you still drinking bubbly water or not? Like, did you, <laughs> I did. Did you, did you quench that thirst in the bubble? Yeah, did you let it go? Or are you shopping for bubbly water at home? Yeah, I honestly bought a 12-pack, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, the strawberry... 
<laughs> yeah, man, we got conditioned to that stuff, man. That was like that was like cigarettes in jail, man. <laughs> we got hooked on that bubbly, man. That buble. It's not bubbly, it's buble. Yes, buble. I'm, I've been on a I've been on a sparkling water expedition since we got bubble. I'm trying to I don't know what it is, but man, that got yeah, yeah. I mean, there were so many things that we so many bad <laughs> habits and habits we picked up in the bubble. But yeah, I, I was looking. I was like, "Oh, they sell this on. I mean, you know, they sell this on the outside. Oh wow, let me buy it." You know, I was in the grocery store. Yeah, bought a twelve pack. Yep, I'm guilty as charged, man. Good to know. I'm good to know. I'm not the only one still sneaking bubbly waters, man. That's that's good to know. Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe. Appreciate you taking some time. I know it's a, a busy time for you, especially on the road. Like I said, you you got to check him out on uh, the Boston Globe. Globe.com is is where you can catch up with all his work. Obviously on social media, bringing it to you like nobody else. Appreciate you, G. Wash. Appreciate it. Just stay cool. Thank you. Yes, sir. I'll let you, brother. We appreciate y'all joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. We'll be back again Monday. All of the latest information, storylines, everything you need around the NBA. So we'll see you here next time. <laughs> <laughs>